So yesterday I was, uh, I was walking in the, in the trails with my family and um, I uh, was down by a riverbank trying to help one of my daughter's friends cross a stream and the uh, branch nailed me pretty badly. So uh, I'm not a bit part actor in a horror movie. Uh, this is uh, just me trying to be a dad. Good to see you all. I'm glad that you are here. By the way, just so you know, I have received... The copy of Imprint Magazine, it is here, and we would love to have you pick it up. It is a phenomenal um, piece of literature, a phenomenal piece of art, and it has some beautiful essays on life in the city and life under the kingdom of God with the theme of freedom. I think you'll really enjoy it. This morning we welcome you to our examination of the book of Mark. We are in the last part of the second chapter and the beginning of the third chapter. And so I'm going to read, read along with me as I begin with Mark chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord. Of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is God's word. I am a restless man, and I live in restless times, and so do you. This election season has both revealed and catalyzed some of the incredible tensions in our larger North American culture. As Canadians, we're not even the nation that went through the election, but we felt the tension. We've spent a restless week, maybe even restless months, capping off a restless campaign, wondering where we will all end up. We live in restless times. I was talking to my um, sister-in-law who lives in the United States, and so was Sue, and Sue's sister-in-law was saying that COVID has created incredible tensions in their culture, even among their church. People are starting to divide. Friends are starting to divide over mask wearing. Matter of fact, one of the lines that is being used, even in Portland, Oregon now, is, I have submitted to this long enough. Now it's my time. And as I was talking to a couple that lived in downtown Toronto, they were telling me that they are seeing parties all over 
their neighborhood. Parties of young professionals who are COVID tired and are saying, this was in August, before the second wave comes, I want to get in my partying because it is my time. It is my time now. We are a restless people. We live in restless times. What this passage wants to tell us is indeed we are restless. But it isn't because of COVID, and it isn't because of the election. These events have revealed what is already inside of us. You see, we long for rest in our souls, but our hearts say, no, I want my time. And in those two things, the longing for rest and the cry, it is my time, is a tension that is part of our problem. And Jesus teaches us here how to resolve that tension by telling us three things. Firstly, what true rest looks like, the purpose of Sabbath. Secondly, who holds that true rest, who's Lord of the Sabbath. And thirdly, how to find that rest the healing of Sabbath. The purpose, the Lord, and the healing of Sabbath. Let's look at these three. First part here is the Sabbath day, and Jesus is going through the grain fields, and he's going through it with his disciples, and they're picking out kernels of grain. And the Pharisees, who I think are following him and see it, say to him, what are you doing? You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. Mark here groups this incident with a couple others to point out something about who Jesus is, and about where real Sabbath lies. Jesus responds to these Pharisees, no, I'm sorry, and gives a historical example of Jesus. I mean, of David, who ate showbread from the temple, probably on the Sabbath day, to say you've misinterpreted the Sabbath. And then he drops the hammer. Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. You see what Jesus is saying? You've taken something that God made for human flourishing, Sabbath, rest, and you've turned it into this precise, punctilious measurement of what should and shouldn't happen. You've taken a wise principle for human flourishing and turned it into a principle of measuring Now let's look at what true Sabbath is meant by what Jesus is saying to them. Firstly, Jesus says, Sabbath was meant for physical rest. Sabbath was meant for you to relax. The whole of the Old Testament says that God worked on six days in his creation and then rested. God acted like a laborer. He worked and then he rested. Did God need to rest? Oh no. God was not physically tired in the Genesis account. God rested to give us a pattern, a pattern for human flourishing, a pattern of working and resting. When you take Sabbath, you rest from your work. But secondly, Sabbath is meant to be a rest in God. You rest from your work and you rest in God. It's a spiritual rest. You trust God with your regular work. You trust God to bear fruit in your work. You trust God to grow your crops. You trust God to give you enough to eat, His faithfulness in watching over you. You give Him control of your week. So when you take Sabbath then, you put into the architecture of your life this idea of trust. You put into the rhythms of your schedule this idea of dependence and gratitude. You believe 
that God will take care of you. You believe he loves you. That is what Sabbath is meant to do, to show, to embed, to display, to encourage in you. A fundamental orientation of dependence, trust, and gratitude. Sabbath is to rest from work and to rest in God. The Pharisees, though, had appended that. They turned it around. They'd made Sabbath a way to work, a work at pleasing God. Work, you worked at doing the right things and abstaining from the wrong things on Sabbath to prove yourself before God and before others. It wasn't an architecture of dependence and trust and gratitude. It was an architecture of self-validation before God and before others. It was a way of measuring and self-actualizing and self-validating you and others. Rest had been turned into work. Rest had been turned into unrest. Now, before we judge the Pharisees, do we not do that as well? We judge people all the time by what they do with their time. We ask people, what do you do for a living and make silent evaluations? Is that a good use of this person's abilities and time? Because work is so much a part of our time. We peruse social media. We see people displaying how they use their time, how they curate their lives, how they present themselves. And it's a self-validating curation. I was talking to a, a published author recently about how people choose to read books. And she was lamenting how everyone these days is so trying to read the right books, the relevant books, the literary books, the profound books. Why? Because we're Torontonians. Even in our reading, our leisure time, we need to self-validate that we're substantive, that we're relevant. Are you reading Coates? Are you reading Kendi? That we're deep. Are you reading Taylor? You see, we use time to validate ourselves. We use time as a treadmill we run on to prove our worth. It is the one currency we all have in common, the one thing we think we can control. Well, how's that going for you? Has it given you rest, this careful curation and control of your time? Are we flourishing? Or are we longing to find true rest where we don't need to prove ourselves anymore? Where we don't need to validate ourselves? Where we can just be and be accepted as we be? The true purpose of Sabbath is to rest from work. The true purpose of Sabbath is to rest in God. And this is why Jesus says, you don't understand. And then this is why Jesus says, I am the Lord of Sabbath. So let's look at our second point, first point. The purpose of Sabbath is to rest from work and in God. Second point, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He says that in verse 28. So the Son of Man, that's his self-designation, is Lord even even of the Sabbath. He's not just Lord of some things. He's Lord even of the Sabbath. So put yourself in that room. You're in that synagogue. You're Jewish. You believe in God. You've come. You've taken your Saturday morning to go worship Him. And you think of the God who created the world and time. And you think of Sabbath as His creation, His designation to us. And this man, this rabbi walks in and says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. 
well, hold on. I'm Jewish. I architect my whole week around Sabbath. Sabbath is the most important. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the most important use of time I have. And you're Lord of it? That's scandalous. That means you are the Lord of time. You're the Lord of my week. It's clearly a call to deity. But more deeply, Jesus is stretching out his hand and saying, Your time is mine. Your life, your agenda, how you use your time, you give that to me. You submit it to me. That is shocking. It was scandalous to them. And it is shocking and scandalous to us. Because time, time is the currency we use. Time is the vehicle we drive to chase the dreams that we have. So many of us are chasing something that we think will finally give us rest. That financial security, that career goal, those relationships. They, we think they will feed that inner emptiness of our soul that has made us so restless and so anxious. Do you feel that need? Do you feel that drive? We are in a restless city that is constantly running after these things. Driven by the need to be successful, respected, accepted, sophisticated, loved, comfortable, insulated from the dangers and trials of this world, we use time all the time to gain our desires. We spend time all the time to validate ourselves and empty and and fill that empty sense in our souls. But the question we have to ask, how is it going? When we make our career the Lord of our time, does it feed our soul and find us rested? When we make financial security that which we surrender our schedule to, does it bring us true soul rest? Listen to these words from David Foster Wallace, award-winning author, poet, social observer from his now-acclaimed water. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what? To worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. Do we hear him? He's saying there's no rest in making those things that which validates you. There's no rest in controlling time to pursue your own validation. There is no rest in driving the vehicle of time to to surrender your life to servitude to your career or your relationships. They just make you their worshipers. They become your private synagogue. You may not enter a Jewish synagogue. Your synagogue may say career over it. But when you're in that synagogue, you are worshiping. And Jesus comes into that synagogue, whatever synagogue you are worshiping at, and he stands in the middle of that synagogue and in the middle of your lack of rest. And he says, I am the Lord of Sabbath. Come to me. Give me your time. Give 
me your life. I learned this summer that I chase respect. I not only chase respect with my time, I purchase respect by sometimes surrendering my vulnerability, sometimes compromising my honesty, sometimes giving away my integrity. I will cash in compassion. I will trade in vulnerability to purchase something that has never filled my soul and never given me rest. I just keep buying and buying. It just keeps costing and costing. Why? Because it's not God. And I can't find Sabbath in a false God that is not God. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the Lord of Sabbath. The purpose of Sabbath is to rest in God. That's where your soul finds its rest. Jesus is the Lord. Come meet the one who has that rest. And so how do you do that? How do you find true Sabbath? Well, let's look at the final segment of this passage. Jesus enters the synagogue after saying he's Lord of the Sabbath. Probably a completely different incident. And there was a man there with a withered hand. And they were watching Jesus, again the religious elites, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And he did. Right? He did. Jesus asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they're silent. Well, of course it's lawful. But he knows what they know and what everyone else knows. And that is the rabbis in their rabbinical tradition had said, only certain kinds of healing will we allow on Sabbath. If you're in imminent danger of your life, we will let you be healed. You see, again, they'd taken the idea of healing and they'd shrunk it. They'd withered it. This man's not in danger of losing his life. But Jesus heals him anyways. And immediately, what do the Pharisees do? They go and conspire with the Herodians. You, don't, you probably don't know the political context of that, so let me give you a modern version. Imagine, imagine the conservatives conspiring with the NDP to merge <laughs> one party, conservatives and NDP, to try and fight the liberals in the next election. Imagine Trumpites with Bernie Sandersites to challenge Biden. I mean, it's, that's what's, it's irrational. But that's the point. What he is saying here is the most religious people and the most anti-religious people to the Jewish faith in that time will conspire together because they don't like the healing that the Lord of the Sabbath brings. Now what's going on here? Well, on, on one level, Jesus is telling us this is the true meaning of the Sabbath. It's for us and it's for healing of that which is withered in us. Secondly, he's saying he's the Lord who brings that healing. Now, it's right here that many people sometimes have an objection. Well, I hear this from skeptics all the time. Why doesn't Jesus just heal everyone? Matter of fact, why did he even allow disease and brokenness into the Why didn't he just make the world perfect in the first place? It would be far more efficient, wouldn't it, for it just to have worked all the time and never break down. That's what the usual objection comes in. And I I agree, I see that. I I had that myself for years. 
You see, what we're really saying is, why did Jesus even come at all? Why didn't he just stay up in heaven and fix everything from there? Why not? Why not? It would have been more efficient, wouldn't it? Yeah. Would have saved a lot of pain. Yeah. But God isn't a manager in the business of saving time. He's a personal God in the business of saving people. One soul at a time. He's not some aloof manager who just wants things to run well. He's the infinitely personal Savior who wants to know you well. I take the TTC quite a bit. I also drive quite a bit. And I notice every time the TTC breaks down, I'm frustrated. And I say, why can't they manage this better? But every time the TTC runs precisely on time, I don't sit there and just give a personal thank you to whoever. It's impersonal. It's an it's unmanaged system. But I remember being in the Philippines once with a much more confusing transit system and tr- at, a, at a major thoroughfare in Manila trying to figure out which bus to take to get to my next appointment. Totally lost with my other Canadian friend trying to read a bus schedule. And a Manila native person who's a resident of Manila came to us and said, hey Joe, didn't know but that was the nickname that he had for North Americans. Hey Joe, are you lost? We went, well we're not lost, we think we're at the right stop but we don't know what bus to go, we want to go here. He goes, oh yeah, 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 no problem, I'll take you there, it's this bus. And so then the bus came, he says, come on, come on up, I'll go on the bus with you, I've got to take this bus. So he gets on the bus with us, he sits us down And he shows us where to get off. And then the next stop he goes, actually this wasn't my bus. I'm just going to go back now. I will never forget the personal disruption that he made to help us. It means far more, and I remember it far more than every time the TTC is managed well. God is a personal, infinitely personal God. Who wants to know you and be known. That's why he came into human flesh. That's why he came down to be met with, to be known personally. That's why Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, became Jesus, the suffering servant. That's why Jesus took their rejection of all these people who could see the hardness of their hearts and still came to them. He willingly absorbed their hatred and yours and mine so he could be known as a God who cares. A God who cares for us intimately and personally. A God who wants to look at the deep scars and withering of our lives, many of which are inside mine today, is outside. But you have them too. This man who was asked to have his hand stretched out by the Lord of Sabbath, Jesus Christ, was a man who would look at that same Jesus Christ with Jesus' own body stretched out on a cross. And Jesus' hand wasn't restored. His body was destroyed. That conspiracy worked. Why? Why did he die? That's not efficient. That's bloody and messy and gross. Yes, because Jesus entered into the depths of our withering, even to the depths of death, to give himself for you and me personally. Why? Don't you see? Jesus isn't just Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. Jesus. Jesus is how we rest and how we heal. 
You see, Sabbath was the day that God rested from all his work. That's what the whole Old Testament said. But, but, but Sabbath was actually meant to point to an ultimate Sabbath where we rest not just physically, but we rest spiritually from all the works of trying to validate ourselves before a holy God. From all of our spiritual striving and all of our treadmill running to me may write, because don't you know why you run? You run because you want the ultimate judge of this universe to judge you right. That's why we strive. You know who that is? That's God himself. And before him, we know we don't measure up. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that our sin separates us from him. But we try desperately to look right, be right, be whole. And that's why the Lord of time, Jesus himself, came into time and space and suffered himself to smash that treadmill by running that race for us, by living the perfect life that got God's validation. Sinless he was. Innocent he was. Sinless he is for you and for me. He alone lived that life perfectly. He alone lived it for you so you don't have to because he stretched out his arms and allowed himself to be withered. So whatever is withered in us can come to life again. What did Jesus say before he breathed his last breath? It is finished. What was finished? The work of God, not in creation, but in redemption, in redeeming you and me from the depth of our sin and the guilt of it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we, might be unwithered. We might become the righteousness of God in him. In the work of healing and flourishing that the Sabbath pointed to, that's what got finished. On the seventh day, Genesis 1 says, God rested from his work of creation. In the Gospels, Jesus died at the end of the sixth day and rested in death on the seventh day. Do you know why Jesus died on a Friday? Because Friday afternoon was just before Sabbath. And then they wounded him. They, they made sure he was dead, possibly so they could take him down before Sabbath started. And Jesus rested on the Sabbath day because God had finished in Jesus the work of redeeming you and me. He is our Sabbath day where you can rest. And on a Sunday, when the Sabbath day was fully over, they went to the tomb where Jesus lay and he had raised again because he's beginning the work of recreation, the final work in you and in me. Now, go back to the synagogue for a moment. You're the person with the withered hand. Some part of us is withered. Some part of our souls, that part which chases after false God's which worships the wrong things. That part of us is withered. Addicted to success or, worship or, or relationships, whatever. We're like that man. So put yourself there. Now, this man had a choice. We don't often realize this. But this man had a choice. He knew Jesus could heal him. 
And there's Jesus offering to heal. He's heard Jesus can heal, but he's trapped. It's Jesus against my religious elites, my cultural elites. Jesus against them. He's in a confrontation and he's using me. He's saying, come now, I will heal you now. Well, you, Jesus, you could heal me tomorrow. And I could avoid being caught in the crossfire between you and the Pharisees and the Herodians. I don't need to get involved. It would be better for me. It would be both and for me. Why don't we do it on my time? Not on Sunday. Saturday. Not on Sabbath. But Jesus is saying, do you want my healing? You do it on my time. Do you want my healing? I will come to you when I will come to you. And I will heal you when I heal you. That man realized he had to take the flack of publicly being identified with Jesus. He had to enter the fray. He had to publicly be identified as one of Jesus' people. You see, when you come to Jesus, you come in his time and you give him your time and he gives you his healing. That's just the way it works. And you've got to say, I want your healing more than I want my time. More than I want to control my life. That's the exchange. There it is, boys and girls, men and women. There is the choice. Hebrews 4, verse 9 says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works, as God did from his You can rest from all your works of striving and validation because Jesus did them for you. Quick applications. Wherever you are, Jesus is standing before you and saying, give me your time, give me your life, and I will give you my healing, and I will give you my rest. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stop saying, My time is my time, and I will use it as I wish. Or will you come to Jesus and say, My time has been striving to find rest, but you are actually the place of rest. I will rest in you. I will give you my life. If you give him your life, he will give you his healing. He will take away all of your sin and all of the guilt of it, and he will establish this relationship of rest. You will find yourself in God you will find yourself home. So if you're here and you are investigating the Christian faith, I say to you, he is the rest your soul has been looking for. Give him your life. Give him your time. He's Lord of the Sabbath. But I also say to you, if you're Christians, you need to do this too. You need to rest in what Jesus has done for you. But you need to give him your time. You need to let him organize your time. Your time is his. Your time is meant for his glory, for his praise, for his honor, for the spreading of his grace to every corner of the world. Your time is his. Will you give him your time? Will you organize your week around him as your Sabbath rest? And will you take a day of rest? Will you do that?
to show in the architecture of your life that you actually believe God is your rest. I was talking to this author, um, and she's got a new book coming out. Her name is Jen Pollock Michelle. She uh, she's, attends our church. She has a 40-day reading experience, she calls it, that expands on just this idea. We were talking about the, the way that the rhythms of our life, the way we organize our schedule, the way we architect the disciplines of our day, not only express what we believe, but encourage and strengthen what we believe. It embeds them. This architecture encourages and fortifies them. Do you want to rest in God? Take Sabbath. Take Sabbath in Jesus spiritually and take Sabbath from your work to rest in him. It's a both and. Let me pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and your grace. And I ask that you would be with us now and help us to find our rest in you. It sounds easy, but it actually takes scheduling, embedding, architecting. It takes all of these things. It takes the discipline of rest. Not that we can measure ourselves, but that our hearts constantly move toward restlessness. And if we can admit that, And we can go to you daily, weekly, and find our rest in you. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I'm going to answer a couple of questions. Uh, Oh, we have about 12 of them. Great. I'll answer about five or six of them, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Since the Sabbath commandment is part of the Ten Commandments, is it a sin to not observe the Sabbath? Yes, it is. What does it mean to observe the Sabbath is the question. So uh, I'm probably answering about five of the questions to say this is a live debate in Christian circles because Christ is our Sabbath rest and because the early church did not meet on Saturday and observe the Jewish Sabbath but met on a Sunday usually after work because a good proportion of them were slaves The early church in the early days when the New Testament was being written didn't observe a day of physical rest from work. They didn't have the option to. And so we don't have in in the activities of the early church any precedent for us to understand how they interpreted Jesus' New Testament commands on Sabbath. We are left to make our own best wise decision. What the Christian church has generally done has said is when we have enough cultural capital and enough cultural power, we will create a day of rest. And they did. Sunday was the day of rest throughout most of history, and that's how they did it. But is it a binding ordinance in the same way from the Old Testament and the New? That is a matter of live debate, and I'm not going to say that one side is more right than the other. Great question. How do we draw the line between rest and and laziness, good rest versus sloth? Great question. That's why the Sabbath says, don't just rest from work and then just go do whatever the heck you want to do, sleep, party, play video games. Rest in God. Use the day beautifully. Use the day to pray, to read God's word, to read good books that nourish your soul, to have fellowship with other Christians that help nourish your soul and encourage you. So it's not that the day of rest is meant to be a my time rest. It's a his time rest. And the difference is significant. Great question. 
Weren't the Pharisees just protecting the integrity and obedience of the people around them by asking Jesus not to work? No. Jesus is the authoritative author of the Sabbath commandment because he's fully God. He knew exactly what it meant and didn't mean. And the rabbinical tradition had narrowed the freedom that they had. They were supposed to take rest, but it, it had narrowed it so much. Like, look at the difference. Exodus 34 says, if you own crops, don't reap those crops on a Sunday. And they turned it into, if you're walking through someone else's field, you can't even pick a few kernels. Yeah, that's very different from what God had said. So are they protecting it? No. They were adding so much to it. Great question. Okay, I'm going to try and answer the last. How can we observe the Sunday in accordance with the New Testament? Okay, I think I've answered that, that there's a, a variety of ways. But the idea is to rest from work and to rest in God. Now, not everyone gets Sundays off. Some of us are are, are shift workers and we have to work Sunday. Some of us uh, are medical people and we're called in on Sundays. Some of us are pastors and we're called to stare into cameras on Sunday. So you, it, it can differ for different people. All right. Last question. Okay, when I read the Old Testament, I see God giving minute and meticulous rules for the Sabbath to a man who was even stoned to death for breaking it. Why do we and Jesus blame the Jews for taking the rules so seriously? They didn't take the rules so seriously. They completely upended the spirit of Sabbath by adding their own rules. They were not following God. They were supplanting God by becoming their own Lord of the Sabbath, just like we do. When we take the time as given us and we make it my time. Because the claim from then throughout history to now is this. Your time is the Lord's time. The Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus says, it's not your time. It's mine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time and these questions. And I ask now that you would just be with us, guide us as we reflect and apply these things. We ask this for your glory and for our rest. In Christ's name, amen.